it's only a beautiful thing. This is all the unexpressed love, right? The grief that will remain with us, you know, until we pass because we didn't, we never get enough time with each other, right? Mm -hmm. um, no matter if someone lives till 60, 15 or, you know, 99. So I hope this grief stays with me because it's all the unexpressed love that I didn't get to, to tell her. And I told her every day. We all, we, we all told her every day. She was the best of us. Um, so for me, you know, I, I was able to step into this in a way where I could honor this incredible life of, of Jonathan Larson. And he was taken far too soon. He died at the age of 35 on the night of the first preview of Rent off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop. Some strange twist of fate that he was taken that soon. And this film is kind of to do with that. It's to do with this ticking clock that we all have, that we all know in somewhere deep down that life is sacred, life is short, and we better just be here as much as possible with each other, holding on to each other. And for me, I got to sing Jonathan Larson's unfinished song while simultaneously singing for my mother. This is the life of Boba Bobo. This is the life of Boba Bobo. This is the life of Boba Bobo. All right, welcome back, analysis <laughs> listeners. Want to welcome back into the pod some of the finest music theater minds this podcast has ever heard from Brittany Brown and Barry Irving. Welcome back, guys. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> what up? And both of you guys almost simultaneously, at least on the same day, text me. And this is normally how it goes when people want to get on the podcast. You, you, you throw, a, throw a text over to us and you say, hey, you guys planning on doing a Tick, Tick, Boom episode? And I said, hey, yeah, absolutely. And we might as well have you guys both come on and talk about how Lin-Manuel Miranda likes to write stories about people running out of time. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think... Um... Yeah, there's like such a fascination. And I think it's like an artistic fascination of like feeling like you haven't reached your your peak potential in enough time. Um, and so I think that those stories, because they're so universal, are also probably, especially to an artist, very appealing in terms of how can I, how can I finagle and like find like a fresh take on something that I, it, it, it's not new and yeah. it's certainly not new to him. But um, I think it's some it's so it's so fascinating, like why we have this obsession with by the time I especially like 30 feels like such an age where yeah. a lot of people are like, why haven't I done this, this and this? And that's why I love in this where like he repeatedly talks about like how Sondheim 30. was 27 oh, yeah. when he did like his first his first show on Broadway. And yeah, I, I yeah, it's fascinating. Well, you just you just dropped Sondheim in there and I don't know if I properly introduced the movie we're talking about today, but we're talking about. Tick, Tick, Boom, the new Netflix movie starring Andrew Garfield and uh, Vanessa Hudgens and directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I'm really happy that we waited to talk about this because Stephen Sondheim has passed away since I saw this movie. So I saw the movie and Bradley Whitford is Stephen Sondheim in this and he had a huge role in Jonathan Larson's life. And since then, unfortunately, the, the world has lost him. It just feels like that's a natural way for us to start already hearing you mention 
Mr. Sondheim. So how do you guys, how do you guys want to do this? Like, what, what are your, some of your first thoughts and feelings about Stephen Sondheim in general? We definitely lost a Titan in the musical theater canon. And I actually like, we, we've talked before on this show about like art coming out at the right time. And I think, man, it is, I mean, obviously this is, this, this was not planned to, to pan out this way, but like, it is a great, like, I think this piece, even though it's not necessarily about Stephen Sondheim, he does, he is a character in it, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, but like, I think this piece really speaks to the legacy that Stephen Sondheim has left behind, how it's sort of transferred through Jonathan Larson and how we've sort of had these kind of once in a generation voices come along to sort of um, uh, steer this uh, art medium ahead. And I think this piece has some great moments that speak to that. Uh, one in particular is the song um, Sunday, which is a, is a song I've seen, I've seen Tick Tick Boom performed live and it's, it, it, it was always kind of a throwaway song for me, but what Lin-Manuel sort of did to flesh it out was really beautiful. And like Lin-Manuel, those who are familiar with him, he's sort of taken this place as like the theater nerd's theater nerd. And I think it's great that like that scene in particular is just rich with Easter eggs. The fact that it sort of plays out kind of like Sunday in the Park with George, as well as just being loaded with a who's who of like, Mm -hmm. Broadway legends and not only Broadway legends, but you'll have, you'll, you, we've got Beth Cooper dressed up as Alison Bechtel, like, and we've got the Schuyler sisters wearing their colors. Like these aren't, they're not being themselves. They're being the characters that have left this mark on musical theater. And this, that number got to be this homage to musical theater in general, as well as just, the legacy that these men have sort of laid out for us. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think what what's so cool is that I, you know there's always that phrase of like you know never meet your heroes. But I think what's so beautiful is that so many people who have encountered Stephen Sondheim, that's like the antithesis of of anything because they're just like he is so kind, so encouraging, and you you see in this film, which I which I do love that they kind of have like a, a a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning where it's like, this is all true except for the parts that Jonathan made up. But I love that um, when he talks about um, Sondheim, there's just like such a reverence because he was just like such a guiding force and like a true mentor to him. And I just think like his, his influence is all over this piece. It's all over, you know, it's also all over, you know, Rent too. And um, I just think what's so beautiful is that a figure a person like him just like has like this incredibly deep like ripple effect into all of these different artists and Lynn has said multiple times how inspired he is by by Sondheim and so I think that as much as it was you know um, a a love letter to to Jonathan Larson I think it was just as much one to to Stephen Sondheim, who, you know, inspired, um, you know, all of works and continued to inspire Linz and so many other peoples. It's so interesting, and, and Barry labeled it, just the way art sometimes, 
has these weird twists of fate and it happens just the, the Jonathan Larson story of him dying the day that Rent is going to previews off Broadway or even just we're, we're talking about this this whole Lin-Manuel piece and, and clearly Sondheim inspires the modern Broadway musical with Rent and Rent clearly inspires Lin. I don't think without Rent that there is an In the Heights or a Hamilton, right? Like all of that is is inspired by something before it. So it's just really interesting how all of those things come into play and then the movie comes out right about the time that the world is about to to touch back in, connect with their appreciation for Sondheim. Yeah, I mean, I completely a- agree. I, I think that there isn't there isn't a rent, an In the Heights, a Hamilton to the extent that we know it. I do think that like Jonathan Larson and, and Lynn and so many other writers who are inspired by him, they may very well have you know written some amazing work, but I just don't think it's quite what we know it as with without him, which I think is the the really beautiful detail. Well, if we want to talk about like uh, Jonathan Larson in general and like our relationship with Jonathan Larson, like Rent is the first time I saw a musical like exist in the world the way that like we see it, the way that we experience yeah, it. Absolutely. The, the the pop references, the the music, the just the 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 vibe of mm-hmm the show, how modern it was, I think, yeah, absolutely, we don't have Lin-Manuel Miranda without Rent. So, yeah. I want to go back to the theme, Brittany, that you were talking about of just 30 and how that becomes such an important number to us. And, and I think especially artists, like 30 is this definitive transitional uh, age that, that we're always kind of judging ourselves against and, and Bo Burnham had a special called mm-hmm. Inside where it was all centered around him turning 30 and it just seems to be a theme that comes up over and over again and and man I felt really seen especially by Michael in this story because Michael is an, an average or below average actor who goes into corporate America because he he kind of looked at 30 and he, he got up against the clock and decided to, to make a transition out of art. And for anyone that follows us or has followed us or, or knows me personally, like that was a decision that I made and very, very hard decision that I made. So that part, part of the story and, and the themes and the conversations that he and that Jonathan Larson and, and Michael have about life and career, and that really hit me on a, on a very personal level. How did you guys feel about the whole 30 theme going on there? I I mean, I feel like he has like this really great line where he's like talking about how, you know, you get to a certain age and you stop being a a writer who waits tables and you become a waiter with a hobby. And I think that that's something, especially in like the last um, two years, um, I think certainly a lot of artists can attest to like, at least like thinking about like, when do I get to a point where, maybe I'm not going to get like a big break and like how realistic do I need to be about that? Um, And I will say that like, I've never felt much. um, I've never like held very highly, like some sort of like deadline that if I hit 30 and I haven't accomplished this and this, this and this, then I'm like never going to do it. I've always been kind of like the person who's like, I love 
I love making art in any capacity. So it's like, even if it's not on like some like globally renowned scale, I'm still going to have like a shit ton of fun creating art with, you know, with people that I, you know, respect that I love, like having a great time, like doing all of that, even if it's like, you know, not on like such a huge scale. And so what I love is that that theme though, like, I don't like always personally like line up with it. It's so universal and relatable that it's like, it still is like, like super resounding, which is what I think the appeal is of this film in general. I mean, it really is like an artist's love letter. And that's why I think it's um, incredibly powerful. Um, And I will say that I'm not, um, I've never been a huge fan of Tick, Tick, Boom, like the musical. I've I've seen it a few times live. Um, And you know, I've been kind of like lukewarm about it. And this was the first iteration where I was like, it really hit. And I think that that's um, a testament maybe to the power of a a few different things at play. Um, You know, the acting certainly, I think the directing definitely played a a part in it. Um, And so I think that it, yeah, just such a a powerful thing. Yeah, I I think I definitely, I definitely resonate with, with what you said about sort of being in a place now where, it is more about just creating to create as well as connect. But like, I definitely, and, and maybe it's just being like, I'm a little bit past 30 now. I definitely remember that feeling 10 years yeah. ago, feeling like you're just running out of time mm-hmm. and feeling like you've got to get these check marks, these check marks, these boxes checked in by the time you get to that certain age. And actually like around 10 years ago was around the time that like this show was actually being performed quite a bit. So I was pretty familiar with that story already. So I def- it, it, it sort of kind of, while I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily resonate with who I am today. I definitely, it definitely took me back to being that like hungry artist r- trying to accomplish as much as possible with the little amount of time you have left. Yeah, it really, the, the movie and the story, and I, I'm not familiar with the musical, this is my first time experiencing it, but it really celebrates the perseverance of the craft. And it's a really nice example of the creative process. And I think, I really like, I come back to Michael, his best friend's journey, because they have that argument in act two where he says, you're not helping the rainforest, you're writing musicals in your living room. Like you're not curing cancer here, buddy. And then later, Jonathan comes to the fancy office and he says, I want the job, I want, I want the, the life. I'm, 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 he, his, his play's been rejected, Superbia has been rejected. And he's just like, I'm, I, I'm in on the corporate life. And he's like, no, you can't do that, right? Because I, I watched the read through and it's incredible and the world needs the art. And mm-hmm. I think some of the things it talks about and, and we can go back to Sondheim or, or Jonathan Larson, but when it's done well, the, the art outlives the person. Like, like people are still celebrating Jonathan Larson in 2021. It's been years since he's passed away. And, and so you, it, this whole movie is about this struggle of the, the clock ticking, but really the clock is, endless when it comes to the art. The art will live forever, which I, I think is, is just a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think about Garfield in this movie? I, he was good. I, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say I was like blown away the way 
some reactions seem to be, but he was good. I think this is, I think he has found like a good, a, a nice lane for himself with this type of role. I think a lot of his prior work, he kind of comes off a little bit too young. Um, and I think he was just the perfect, like he, he embodied that still youthful, but like you can see what the toll that this lifestyle has taken on him. And I thought like, it, like maybe, maybe just perfect timing with him having sort of gone through the ringer with his attempts to be Spider-Man. I mean, hopefully we'll be talking about him in another movie in a couple of weeks, but. Uh, Barry is, <laughs> ring the siren every time Barry talks about superheroes. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I thought this was really a great role for him. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I was blown away just because I've always, not always, but I've been a fan of his for a while, but like I thought this role served him very well. Yeah, I agree a lot with uh, with Barry. Um, I think what is what can be very tricky, um, especially when you're uh, when there's like a little bit of like a deficit in terms of the age you're supposed to be playing and the age that you are, um, is that sometimes, especially if you're on like you're older than the role that you're playing, is that sometimes it's like hard for you to find like the 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 realism and like how you need to like be grounded into that and like this being like such a a role that relies like pretty heavily on how much importance Jonathan, the character puts on, puts on turning 30. It's um, it's like, you know, how do you hearken that when you're almost like a, a decade out from that? Um, but like watching it, it's like, you really don't even, I didn't like even think even once that like, he wasn't like the right, the right age for it or like didn't have the right flavor. Like he definitely was able to find a lot of that vulnerability. And I think for me, I know that, just because I think I've heard the story that he's told on like a few talk shows about how like he didn't sing and about how Lynn asked the massage therapist that they shared like, Hey, does he sing? And he was just like, well, I guess I got a year to figure it out. And you like hear that story and you're just like, yeah, okay. But it's so interesting to think that like somebody, and I know that like people talked a lot about this, like, you know, when Bradley Cooper sang in a star is born, but I think here, there's something like like more special about it just because there are so many different things at play here that are incredibly difficult to do which is that he's he's never sung before he's also singing on film and like the only thing that he's familiar with is film acting um and i think he exceeded my expectations because like when he plays and performs the songs i think a lot of times people tend to think that like singing and acting are different, but in fact, you have to do them both simultaneously or it just doesn't read. And I thought that he did um, some really beautiful work. He had like, there was like an adeptness that comes from someone who has experience doing this before that, I mean, he didn't have that experience. And so I thought that it was really cool to see him do something that I'm sure was really far outside of his comfort zone and handle it um, so well. Um, and I agree like with Barry, you know, I've been a fan of his, you know, for quite a long time. So it's like, when you've been a fan of an actor for so long, it's like, how do you continually find things in their performances that surprise you and keep, you know, that, that fresh. And I think that this was something for that. And I love that it wasn't, um, he didn't need to be like the best singer in the world and still his vocal ability was very surprising. Yeah, I think surprising was the word for me. Yeah. I just, I was really, I didn't, I didn't know he sang. I had actually never even heard the sentiment that you were talking about with Lin-Manuel and, and the inner turmoil that he, he went through. So I just thought it was, I, I was really surprised first by, and you guys, you guys are better at judging vocal talent than you guys are both 
singers. You both have done music theater. They, they wouldn't let me anywhere near a musical theater stage. So it's, I, I can't necessarily judge. So I was like, oh, this is actually surprisingly good. The, the music felt very Rent-ish, which was, was one of my favorite musicals. And, and so I, I don't think the dramatic element surprised me. I've always known that he's totally capable of that work. But I was, I was definitely into, and, and just what I know about Jonathan Larson, I think he looks a lot like Jonathan Larson in this movie. I think they did a good job with, with the hair and makeup. So I, I was surprised in a, in a he, good way. He really was Jonathan. I think that that's what like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of at least Broadway people or people who are, you know, tuned into the Broadway community talked a lot about is that he really embodied a lot of like his manner mannerisms. And like, we do have quite a bit of footage of like, there's, you know, footage from whenever he did Tick, Tick, Boom as a one man show uh, when he was still alive and and stuff like that. So he had like some inspiration to draw on, but I think that he embodied him in such a way that there are definitely a couple of times where it's like, you kind of forget and you're just like, like the, the line is very blurred because he embodied it so well. A lot of specificity in this film. And I've seen some, some information about Jonathan Larson. I've, I discovered he actually like film recorded his entire apartment for like insurance purposes. And so the apartment, like they recreated his yeah. exact apartment for the film. There's just a, like the, the film, the film is kind of like, it's almost like an Avengers Endgame of musical theater. It's just ironished with, uh, with uh, Easter eggs. Like there are just all, all these like small bits of like, oh, a certain character's name or a certain cameo that happens. It's just, rich with that but i will say to that note at points almost catching these references took me out of some of the more emotional moments in the show like i know for a fact that like i had a much and maybe maybe it was because i didn't see it coming when i was watching it on stage but i definitely had a much stronger reaction to the reveal of the best friend being HIV positive, sure. even just just the emotional sort of trajectory that the story kind of takes you on, I felt, I remember being a little bit stronger on stage. I think this movie was very well done and I, and I don't think you, I don't think, I think the trade-off is worth it, but I do think some of, I do think it's kind of dulled a little bit of those, a little bit of the emotional content. I, I can totally get behind that. I think for for me and, you know, having also like you experienced the show before seeing this film, I think in this iteration, it was more of like, I, I can't tell if it was like, if the power in the film came more from like, I knew it was coming, but it was just like, I was still nervous about the fact that like eventually his bubble has to get burst and he has to realize that there are, there are other things happening. And because he hasn't been present for them, he has to account for the fact that he hasn't been present for his friends. Um, I think that I was still hit with an incredible amount of sadness thinking about the fact that, you know, obviously he's thinking about running out of time. And in fact, he could possibly be losing time with someone that he loves so much. And so it was like, I do think it, 
maybe not necessarily like the, the surprise of it, but like, I think the sadness was just there, but I was coming at it from a different angle than I did when I saw the show. And so I think I completely agree with you. Like the, the there is like a trade-off to be had there, but I think um, for me, it felt a little bit more of like, oh, I'm coming at this from like a perspective that I didn't when I saw the the stage show. So it was, it was cool, but it was different. It was definitely different. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. I will, I will say though, one of, one of the specific Easter eggs that I'll get into actually did sort of hit me kind of hard. Um, you mentioned Brad, Brad Whitlock playing Stephen Sondheim, which he does for the majority, for, for pretty much virtually the entire movie up until that last voicemail yeah. that Stephen Sondheim leaves Jonathan Larson. That's the actual voice of oh, Stephen Sondheim. Really? And I did he not like, know that re-recorded this phone this actual phone call that he gave to Jonathan Larson with these inspiring words and he sort of like revamped it and just mm-hmm. sort of gave this message to like and it's it's just a really perfect send-off and uh, again like art coming at the time that it needs to come at and yeah I just thought like that was that that really struck me yes just I, hearing I, his actual voice 1000%. I, I love that. And also loved more that he, you know, like he was like, you know, talking to Lynn, he was just like, I wouldn't say it like this though. So can it, can I rewrite it? Yeah. yeah. And it, to, to sound more like me, which I'm just like, lovely little thing. I also will say that in terms of like, there are so many Easter eggs in this show, but what I do appreciate is that like, in my opinion, it feels like Lynn never necessarily plays to the end of the story or playing to like the end of Jonathan Larson's life like we know that you know we know that he dies we know he creates rent and I love that he didn't lean too heavily on like prophesizing that and focused way more on like superbia and you know and then eventually the the making or creation of tick tick boom and that it was more about um it was more about that and less about like the things that we know him for because it's like without these things we don't get we don't get that so don't don't race to the end. Don't race to the yeah. end. We've we've got a we've got a journey to get there. Actually, it, what you just said made me think of the video that Bob you actually just shared with both of us. I'm yeah. sorry, giving some behind the scenes scoop. No, um, okay. Where uh, Andrew Garfield's talking about grief, and he's sort of something that he a, a, a phrase that he uses. He calls grief what is it like unexpressed love? Yeah. And I, I, I like, I like, I loved, I loved that. Cause that really is like people leave us and there are things that we want to say to them. There are, there are things that they meant to us that we can't necessarily communicate directly to them. So we just sort of have to live those things out. And that's kind of what this movie was. It was just an expression of, the wealth that these minds sort of gave this medium. And, and so, yeah, cha- like, and like I said, I don't think you should take out any of those Easter eggs. I think despite the fact that it maybe dulled some of the emotional content for me, it's so necessary and it's such a beautiful just homage and tribute to these men. And I think it's great that like, we talked about um, the live recording of Hamilton coming to us at a moment when we didn't have theater. And now theater has come back and what a way to sort of celebrate what has come before us as we move into what the future of theater is going to be. I love that you say that Barry, you, you brought the interview that he did with Stephen Colbert here because it, it also goes back to our theme about time and 
Andrew Garfield labels in that conversation, he says, whether we're with somebody for 30 years or 99, we, we never get enough time with each other. And he talks about celebrating untold stories, however long the story is, it's still untold and, and, and how art and the, the process of being an artist sews up wounds. And, and that, that whole dialogue hits with me on a bunch of different ways. And, and art exists in many different ways. And, and I think about doing this podcast is, is an artistic uh, expression for me, whether I'm doing creative writing or, or anything that, that, that these things live on and they, they, they live forever, you know? And I think he's, he's celebrating arts and Jonathan Larson was an artist. His mother was an artist. He's an artist. And I, I just, I love the spirit of that. And it plays back into this whole t- ticking clock piece. Man, I did not expect to get emotional on I this. Know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any any final thoughts, guys, on the movie? It seems like we all in, enjoyed it and it, it did a lot for us and worked for us on a lot of different levels. But any final thoughts, Brittany? I will say that I, I really love a couple of things. I really love um, how uh, Lynn handled like the like the fantastical elements of it. Um, I think that's something that can be really hard. Yeah, like something that can be really hard when you adapt a, a musical to film is that inherently musicals are at the very least like magical realism. And, you know, they're, they're, they're still, you know, they can still be, you know, grounded in reality. But I, I think that what's really cool that what you could do with this show that you can't do necessarily on stage is that there were so many cool fantasy elements like you know I mean there's no more there's Sunday there's swimming when he finally gets the idea for come to your senses um that I think that he handled really well that I thought were like super well done also another thing that I love is like Lynn will always make sure his friends eat he will put them in his projects till like the end of time and I love that you can like see I mean, from Freestyle, I uh, Love Supreme to In the Heights to Hamilton, and there's obviously a lot of crossover with those, um, that he'll always make sure that he takes care of his friends. And I, and I love that because a, a lot of collaborators do that, which I think is super cool. Um, and just like I thought everybody, there was just so much love that you could see poured in. Um, and you could tell that from the way that, you know, all of these cameos happen. Like people were just like so happy to be a part of the, of the story and they didn't really care in what capacity. And I think that that came through. And then I, you know, also the, the chemistry between um, Andrew Garfield, Robin DeJesus and Alexander Ship, I just think was fantastic. And then also Joshua Henry and Vanessa Hudgens did, did like such amazing jobs. And I'm actually not a huge um, Vanessa Hudgens fan. I've never, I don't what? dislike her. I don't dislike her, but I've never been like a huge fan of her until she did Grease Live, to be honest. Okay, okay, same, same, Grease Live, yeah. Yeah, so then I was just like, oh, okay, there is something, she's, she does really have something, and Lynn has seen it because he, you know, he's used her a couple of times for, for musical projects, so I was just like, cool, let me see how, and just, I think, the way, even the way he, uh, you know, was, how he combined, uh, you know, Alexandra and Vanessa and come to your senses, I thought was another fantastical element, really well done. Um, I just think that all together, I, I just really loved this film in a way that I, I, I didn't necessarily expect, but I really, really loved. And there were just like so many delicious elements that played, you know, specifically that felt like it just really catered to the artistic art and me and so many other people. And um, I, I think 
much like how um, y'all were talking about with Hamilton, it just came, it came at a time when at least I know that I really needed something with like some messaging like this. And so, yeah, that, those are my final thoughts. Yeah, Lynn definitely takes care of his people and you can see it in all of his work. Absolutely. Honestly. And yeah, it made, it made, it made, made me think of a version of the stage show that I had seen where Lynn is playing Jonathan Larson uh yeah, Leslie encore. Odom who plays Aaron Burr in the original Broadway cast of Hamilton is playing Michael slash all of the male auxiliary roles mm -hmm. and um Karen Olivo. Karen Olivo is uh is Susan the yes uh, yeah female Susan slash all other female background roles so but yeah that tradition just continues of just just bringing your community to to the to the stage it, it's really it's really fun to see people who like to work together work together yeah and continue to do so yeah very the cool. wes anderson movie yeah Absolutely. yes well guys it's been a lot of fun i feel like i've i've got a nice light step in place getting ready for the west side story conversation yes sir yes very yeah, exciting so, uh modern musicals man uh, we we needed some some goodwill after Dear Evan Hansen. I think we, 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 got a yeah. good, we got some good momentum going, guys. So appreciate you guys for coming on. Appreciate anybody and everybody who's been listening. Smash that subscribe button. Don't forget to wash your hands. Stay safe. And we'll see you down the road. Bye. Bye. This is the life of Bye. 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 Bye